Welcome back to Spartan Up Podcast. We are here in the Amy Barn. We have Marion behind the camera. We've got Johnny, Sephra, Tim, Joe. And more importantly, this week we have Casper Craven. This is a guy, one of the ones joined to read in the UK. Um, incredible story. While starting several multi-million dollar businesses, he sailed around the world, not once, but twice with his family, including a two-year-old. Three kids living on a boat. Uh, incredible stories. And um, blown away. You're really going to want to check this he, out. He, um, he almost loses a family member on the trip. True story. True story. We are here in the UK. Don't ask me why. I still don't know. <laughs> with Casper Craven. Right? Absolutely right. Yes. And we just met about 12 seconds ago. I have no idea what he's all about or how he could help us, but I do know he sailed around the world twice, once with his two-year-old. So there's got to be some nugget in here, something that we're going to learn. Let's hope- dive in. Tell, go, let's go back in time. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in this tiny little fishing village um, in the, uh, the southwest of England, yeah. and there was like 35 people there. So uh, I was like, um, I had my first business when I was 14. I used to sort of like have a little fishing boat. And um, so that's kind of my growing up sort of stage. Sort of. So when I think of fishermen, when the listeners think of fishermen, we think of like hardened, crackly faced, tough <laughs> people. And you don't give off that impression at all. You, you give off like, you could be like, I'd meet you at the opera. Maybe, but, oh. <laughs> but, but I've heard tough as nails inside. So, so um, you're in that fishing village. Pretty tough people, hardcore. They were pretty hardcore people. So basically, so this village, you know, I fell into the sea back in 1914, and these fishermen there were hard as nails. And they used to go out in these tiny sort of, um, you know, sort of five meter boats, and they'd be going off sort of five, ten miles out at sea. And um, so when I grew up, I used to go out fishing with these guys from the age of like you know 12, 13 and uh, go and sort of get that experience and um, say, so yeah, maybe I look like the sort of person who do, that does opera. But, um, but yeah, and I've done some stuff like that. So, you, look, so. you look nice as can be. So you grew up in this tough building, fishing village. How do you get out of there? Most people don't get out. How do you get out? It's true. So, um, so you know what? So I had my first uh, fishing business and um, I used to, interestingly, I used to walk around with these t-shirts saying crabs for sale. People used to laugh and then I used to like sell some stuff. But, um, I, and I was earning good money by the time I was 16, 17. Um, but I figured that I was never going to make enough money selling crabs. So um, I decided to go uni- university and then I trained as, uh, as an accountant, uh, which I can't think now of any profession which is less suited to what I'm doing now and, uh, and my story. So it's... Wow. So a uh, fisherman turns accountant. Mm-hmm. You probably could add some value back to those fishermen in the village <laughs> you grew up in, right? Help, help them count crabs. Probably. I mean, it's, uh, it's a tough business these days because the, the regulation has changed and, yeah. uh, and so on. So um, I love going fishing now, but uh, I don't do it for money. So, so, so you, become, you become an accountant mm-hmm. and, uh, because you're in business. I, you, you mentioned something right before we get started here that you're in business. So, so let's, Correct, let's yeah. dive into the whole business thing before we find out about the trip around the world. Okay, cool. So, um, two trips around the world. Two trips around the world, exactly. So um, actually, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of timeline. So um, trained as an accountant, and then um, I travel around the world with a backpack, as you do. And then came back from that, I had five years as an investment banker, uh, which is another profession that I find myself utterly unsuited to. And um, I was at the, the boat show here in London um, in January 2000. 
and the opportunity to sail around the world on the world's toughest yacht race just suddenly appeared in front of me like that. And it's one of those things where you make a heartbeat decision, so I'm going to go and do this. So um, I went and uh, did that, and um, I came back a year later, a changed person in many ways. Um, and I went and joined the the bank. How many how many days how many days were you out there at sea? That, and that, is that the Volvo? It was called it was it was called the the BT Global Challenge. Got it. So um, basically, we were so it was ten months the whole race. There were twelve boats. They were equally matched, and uh, the whole philosophy was it was um, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So a lot of the people had never sailed before, and they went through a training process. And uh, there was one professional skipper on the boat. And uh, we, we put these teams together. I was uh, after the first leg to Boston, which we actually won. Um, they moved me up to run one of the watches. I was actually the youngest person on the boat at the time. And um, so we sailed around the world. And it's probably about um, six months at sea and four months in port. Um, but, uh, you know, lifelong friends. Because when you go through something like that with people, I mean, it's just like, wow, incredible experiences. So. Well, how old were you? 28. 28. All right, so you do that. Come back from that. The company that I was working for, they very kindly sponsored me to do that race. Yep. So I had to do a one-year lock-in there when I came back. And I came back and I thought, you know what, I want to do my own businesses now. So I started launching my first online businesses then. So back then, 2002, I was launching online dating sites. And at the time, like, that was like nobody was really doing that. So everybody laughed when I said, this is what I'm doing. So this guy's been an investment banker and now you're doing dating sites. It's like, what are you doing? So... Um, I ran those for probably about four or five years. Ran out, uh, ran out of money. Mostly UK? <laughs> uh, all UK. Yeah. All UK. Um, so I ran out of money. Then um, had to go and take a job. Did a job for, for two years. And then uh, launched my next business after that. Which was? Is, uh, it was in data analytics. So we used to work with uh, many twists and turns, but we ended up uh, we work with big companies like IBM and Microsoft, and we'd take all their data, and then we'd analyze it and look for patterns and, um, yeah, provide a managed service. Did it work? It did. So um, I ran that for, in total, for eight years. But back in 2009, so going back seven years ago, my wife and I, we came up with this idea to go and sail around the world with our kids, and I was still running that business at the time. And... Um, we made this committed decision that we were going to go and uh, do this. And it's funny, because you were talking earlier about, you know, make, you make that decision, and that was what we did. We made this decision that, you know, we're going to take our children, we're going to go and sail around the world, primarily because someone told us that we couldn't do that. So that was how quite... Many, a, how many children? Um, so at the time, we had two, uh, but when we actually left, we had three. So it went up by one. Got it, got it, got it. Got it. And did you have any more when you returned home, or you three, no. three kids? <laughs> no. Three's plenty. <laughs> So, so you've got three children, you get on the boat, where do, where do you leave port? So um, we left um, Southampton here in the UK, um, and interestingly, by the way, just, just wind about, I'd done the London Marathon about four months before that, and I had really damaged my L4, L5, um, which I know you'll know all about, and I had to have some surgery on that like five weeks before we left, so I probably shouldn't have gone, everybody said you can't go, but it's like, you know what, we made that decision, we were going anyway. So, um, yeah, we left, the, left Southampton and then sailed down the European coast to the, uh, the Canary Islands um, and then from there across the Atlantic to the Caribbean, um, then from there to Panama, Panama Canal, six months to go across the Pacific Ocean, Australia, over to South Africa, to Brazil, back up the Caribbean and then around to San Francisco. So. 
how long how long did the total trip take? Two years. Two years. So you're two year old? You had was your youngest on the trip. Your two year old was four when she got back. Correct, yeah. That's awesome. Hey Spartans, as you probably know, Four Sigmatic is a new sponsor of Spartan Up Podcast. This is uh, a series of mushroom drinks. Um, some of them are coffee-based, some of them are like a mushroom tea. And I got home the other day, my wife uh, had surgery, we got home, and there was a box sitting there. I like to think that they sent it specifically as a welcome home after the surgery. But it had um, about nine different uh, variations of Four Sigmatic. And um, what a really cool opportunity for me to dive in. I'd, I'd never tried any of them before and to dive in and start to sample them. So, um, What'd you think of the cordyceps, Johnny? Well, thank you, Seth. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what was great? So the, the mushroom coffee is really good. It's just flat out really good. But tasting the different uh, elixirs was a really neat experience because um, they affect you differently. They, they really do. Um, I really enjoyed the cordyceps. I um, found that it gave me really great energy. I found that it helped me focus. I found that it, um, it sort of gave me... I could almost... You know, there was probably a little bit of a uh, placebo effect, but on each sip, I was like, I'm ingesting something good and energetic here. It's pretty cool. Colonel and I, I'm going to tell you a funny story about okay, when I, when I, when I first it. found a cordyceps. I was at a primitive skills gathering near Asheville, North Carolina, uh, firefly gathering. Anyways, this kid, Todd Elliott, he came and took us out. We went on a foraging hike to go find some of these mushrooms. And all of a sudden, on this little branch, we see this dead ant with this mushroom going out of the back of its head. And so cordyceps, <laughs> isn't that cool? It is. So cordyceps, when the ants so- come across these spores, it kills them, and it grows out of the back of their head. But it, they're like some of the most medicinal mushrooms you can find. And so, so, so I was going to say, so we're drinking that. Yeah, so instead of you and I going out and plucking mushrooms off the backs of dead ants... We get to have those medicinal things delivered right to our door. So, yeah, but that's always one of those things you wonder, who was the first guy, right? Yeah, well, if... <laughs> who was well, the first guy to pick yeah. that up? Well, guys, Even. so join us in drinking cordyceps and all these yummy mushrooms and go to foursigmatic.com slash Spartan, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash Spartan. And um, when you go to the website, if you use the code Spartan, you get 15% off. So the older two, they, when we left, they were seven and nine. Nice. So, and how did you do the studying? How did you, you did uh, basically boat schooling? We did boat schooling. So before we, so you know, when we when we first told everybody we were going to do this, everybody laughed at us, told us we were crazy, and told us all the reasons we couldn't do it. Right. right. And uh, one of the big things was the education. So before we left, we went and spoke to all our teachers, and we got all the books. So we had literally cupboards which were just exploding with books. In the, in the boat? On the boats, yeah. yeah. So I could have put loads of spares and safety gear and all that sort of stuff in there, but now it was the books. And we get one month into sailing, and I'm, trying to, I'm sitting down there trying to get my, son, my seven-year-old son, Columbus, to uh, learn about the Tudors and history and stuff like this. And it's just like, it's, it's just not working. So uh, basically, we chuck the books over the side, and uh, we say, okay, what are you interested in? And my son said, I'm interested in fishing. So we got all the fishing books out, and in the space of the next two, three days, he read all about the fish all over the world, the oceans they were in, what size they got to, how you catch them. And then we started catching fish, so then he was weighing them, he was measuring them, he started dissecting them, cutting them up so he could understand the different parts of it. And uh, he then set up a, a business making and selling fishing lures and advice sheets. So he just followed that one thing and it just took him to all these other different directions. So reading, writing, yeah. math, sales, marketing, yeah. you know, talking to people, stuff like that. So. And, and he came back, when you came back, they went into school and they were fine, adjusted fine? So, yeah, so we've been back for nine months now. And um, he is... Um, 
So him in particular, he's back in school and he's literally just taken to it like a duck to water. And I'd say there's probably 70% of the stuff he's just like way ahead of like everybody else. And his social skills in particular, I mean, it's just insane. And then there's 30% of stuff where they've just missed stuff because they haven't done it. But the really interesting thing for me is the emotional resilience. And so when they come back and say, I only got 30% in this exam, and I say, what do you do? And they say, well, I stayed two or three hours late and I spoke to different people and I figured out what was wrong. And for me, that's the biggest, the thing that I'm most proud of that I've taught them is what do you do when stuff goes wrong? Sure, growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Exactly, exactly. Carol Dweck. Exactly, exactly that. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and you, think, you think they got that on the boat? Yeah. So we had three situations which were pretty scary. And, um, you know, we as a family, me, my wife, and the three kids, we dealt with those scary situations. You, got, you can't leave us hanging. I had to put oh, that there, didn't okay, I? Got, <laughs> got, what's the scary situations? What do we got? Shark attacks, whales, storms, <laughs> lightning. What was it? All of that stuff. All of that stuff. So the first one yeah. was um, we were 500 miles from the nearest piece of land. It was like in the most remote part of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And we had complete power failure. So no engine, no navigation, so we don't know where we are. No autopilot to steer the boat. Um, no um, toilets, no cooker, no water pumps, nothing. And we're there, and it's just literally the five of us. And of course, when stuff goes wrong like that, right, you've got huge seas, so you've got like 40-foot waves breaking over the boats. You've got gale force winds bashing you around. And there's just five of us. And there's ships out there as well, but they can't see you because you've got no lights and no navigation stuff. So you, start, you potentially get run over as well. So, um, so that was the first scary situation. It took us four days to kind of claw our way out of that. My wife and I would like steer the boat for half an hour at a time each, and the kids would bring us food up on deck, and we like really worked together as a team. But the, the kids saw us, and they saw how we dealt with stuff. And it's like, nobody's panicking, everybody's cool, and we spend a lot of time working on our values. How do we show up, how do we behave? And um, they kind of responded to that, and you know, so you know, they, they saw how we acted when stuff goes wrong. Ultimately, kids, I guess kids learn from watching us, right? And watching the people around them and the environment they're in. So, um, so yeah, that's amazing to see. Now, the two-year-old wasn't necessarily picking that stuff up. You know what? The, my two-year-old, I call her my leader on the pitch. You know the whole um, the leadership philosophy about your first follower? Yeah. So she is my first follower. So if I want to make anything happen in our family, I'll, I say with enough energy and enthusiasm, Willow, she's my two-year-old, five-year-old now. I say, Willow, should we go and do this? And she's like, yeah, let's go and do it. And once she starts, then my wife will follow and then the other two will follow. So she is like the key to my family and making stuff happen. And um, she's just a mixed energy and um, yeah, she's amazing. So it's, um, That's great. And, and your other child? So, um, so my seven-year-old um, Columbus, yeah. he's, um, he's like a really sort of detailed thinker and he loves getting involved in the details. So whenever we have a problem when the electronics didn't work, do I try and figure it out or do I find a seven-year-old kid who's going to love this stuff? And it's like, it's like you know, he's figuring all this stuff out. And uh, my oldest daughter, Bluebell, she's, uh, she was nine when we left. Then she was just amazing at the sort of making sure everyone was okay. She'd look after me. She did a lot of cooking. And, you know, she also had the, the courage of a lion. So I'll tell you a story. So in um, Tonga, there's this uh, really famous cave called Mariner's Cave. 
and you have to dive down two meters, swim along four meters, and you pop up inside this underwater cavern. And um, it's beautiful uh, light down there. And she was in the water, and she was like, I want to do this. But she was, you know, she was fearful because it's quite scary going down for that amount of time. And I looked at her, and you know, someone has that look in their eye that's like, they're going through here, they're going to do something. She had that look. And she went down there and she did it. And we have a big picture of her. It's a beautiful photo at home. And whenever she stuck with something, I said, do you remember the courage you had when you did that Mariner's Cave moment? And it's like, bang. You know, it's like such a powerful anchor. Yeah. And that's um, that success breeds success concept. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and then you stopped along the way, obviously. And when you would stop, you would refuel and resupply. And how long did you stay in port? Uh, different places, different times. So sometimes for a week in South Africa, we stayed there for about four or five weeks. So, um, yeah, so different places, different times, basically. So it's, um, how, how often would you stop? Um, it depends on the passages. So when we left um, uh, Panama, going across to, um, towards Australia, so the first sailing stretch was like three to four weeks at sea. And that's a long time on a small boat with three kids. <laughs> and, um, and then we got to the, 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 island, the next island, the Marquesa Islands, where they still have cannibals and stuff like that. We stayed there for probably two or three weeks. And then the next bit was two weeks sailing. And so, yeah, so it was different times, just depending on what islands there were in the way. So it's... When, you, when you started the port, would you buckle down and, and do some schoolwork and stuff like that? Or was it easier at sea because there was less distraction? That's exactly. So, so the long passages were the best ones yeah. because then you get into a rhythm and a routine. And actually, after three weeks at sea, you get an island coming up. So you know what? We're quite happy to just carry on going because you have a really nice rhythm of land. Right. But when you get onto land, then everything changes and you have disruption and sure. Um, sure. More stuff. So, so my, my takeaway for people is... Think about what it is you want to go and do. Make it really rich, really vivid. Talk about it like um, all the time and just create that picture. And the other part of that is I'm a great believer in we rather than me. So when we had the first idea, here was what I wanted to do. Here was what my wife wanted to do. I wanted to go sailing around the world. She wanted to go traveling. And if we just said, I want to go and do this, I want to go and do this, we had a light bashed heads. But what we did, we just focused on what this bit was we had in common and we dropped everything else. And we talked about that. We got energy, we got excitement, and that grew and that grew. So we ended up in, in incorporating everything that we wanted. But because we were both totally bought into it and totally engaged, that was what we locked in onto. And then once we had that clear picture, then we started figuring out the how-to. And the how-to stuff was painful. I mean, there was a lot of stuff we had to do, you know, building businesses. I created three different million-dollar businesses in that space of the five years we gave us to do that. But if I tried to figure out how on day one or even you know, day 60 or day 90, we would never have got there. So take your vision, make it vivid, make it real, and do it together, that we piece. What's next? So we've been back for nine months now. And we are now, uh, we, sp we spent the last nine months since we've been back designing our next vision of the future. And literally just last weekend, we came up with it. It's a vision painted on our walls. We tell everybody about this stuff. So we've designed a world that we call first class worlds, which is about how we want to live 
And um, you know, the thing for, for us now, for me in particular, is I really want to contribute to other people. And the stuff that we've done has been transformative in our lives. And I want to share this with as many people as possible. And just, you know, because it's, this is cool stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I know that you talk about. Sure. So I have a book coming out um, called Where the Magic Happens. How could people learn more? How could they uh, get to you? Thank you. So, um, so my website, uh, caspercraven.com, C A S. P-A-R-C-R-A-V-E-N.com. That was awesome. Thank you very much. My pleasure. We talk a lot about obstacles and about, you know, day-to-day life, the things that we find uh, a little stressful. Imagine being 500 miles from the closest anything with your family. No power, no navigation, no steering. Sounds great. You got celestial navigation. So there's a side story that that. didn't come out in the interview that I found out. I I actually flew to San Francisco and got on his boat. And... um, the boat's not that big. I, I tricked my family. I brought my kids and my wife onto the boat, and I said, hey, we're going to go sail around the world, and they're just going to give us a quick 30-minute heads up on how to control all these things and set the sails, and then we're out of here. And, and in that conversation... And, and they, were, they, were, they were ready to go. My kids were ready. My wife was a little unsure. Um, a little. But, but he, his uh, two-year-old had fallen off the bunk bed and, and split... Um, head split open mm-hmm. and um they were six days away from from anywhere so they had to get on the phone on the radio and they had to uh talk to a doctor to figure out what to do and he thought he goes i lost my kid yeah. and uh the doctor <laughs> said you're gonna have to tie the child's hair up and make stitches using hair and and they did it and, and the kid survived but he said it was a, it was a scary well, moment and the, it was when the radio went down and the storms yeah. had rolled in i mean i don't know if you're going to know this they answer don't have med so, kits but why, and why, sutures why hair versus yeah exactly. as a, as like a suture rather than rather than the stitches i don't i don't know what the reason and the was fishing line or something yeah no it was it was it was used the hair was was what came from the doctor it's, you know it's it's amazing the things we don't think about with this you know the idea about going and sailing around the world with your family, and people immediately go to, oh, my God, a two-year-old crying, you know, oh, my God, uh, the same food. You don't think about that when people take on these giant challenges, you know, raise they have going up to the Arctic. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Joe, you've done some climbing, and I, my, my appendix burst last year, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was awful. I was in the hospital for a couple of days, and it was really, really bad. A year before that, I'd been on Aconcagua, and I think if my appendix burst and I'm at 19,000 feet, right. I'm probably dead. And so, you know, when you go sailing around the world with your family, that's a pretty big commitment. And, you know, when your kid falls off the bunk bed and hits their head, that's a lot bigger than that you forgot their crayons at home. Well, no, he, he said, sorry to interrupt, uh, Sephra. He, he basically said when stuff goes wrong on a boat, it's exponentially it worse. Real wrong, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but instead of focusing on the negative, you know what I think is worse is having your kids locked up on a phone in a city for sure. the whole time. So I think, yeah. like, taking the dangers of adventure and saying, like, Let's look at the stars of navigation and let's fish in the sea and let's learn what's going on down below us and let's go port to port and smell and taste and see and live life. Then, and you know, especially everyone's like, oh, climate change. I'm like, great, more places to sail. So I think the sailors are going to save the world, right? Whoa. <laughs> like, I don't know. No, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's what Trump is thinking well, by not getting yeah. in the Paris Accord. Yeah, I, don't know. Yeah. I have always I wanted think... to sail in Nebraska. You're right. <laughs> and no offense, Miami, you're going to be a great looking reef. <laughs> hey, hey um, okay, what do you think about that? But I like when he was talking about the, ch- the children, though, when they came back and about school, right? And about how. Yeah, they might not have known this lesson out of this particular book, but yeah. their but their knowledge base was so much broader, right? Yeah, absolutely. That they had they had they knew so much more, and how they just got involved in in the um, you know learning the fish and then taking that and following that thread 
all the way through and how many different things you can learn from doing that. A lot like homeschoolers do. But, oh, for sure. Yeah. People think... Sorry, Johnny, go. No, no, I, I was going to say that that really jumped at me too when he talked about, you know, stop trying to force kids to learn the way that we want to teach them. Find out what they're excited about and then harness that in the, in the teaching and the learning. And yeah. kid, kids will learn a Meet lot faster if it's something they're excited about and, uh, and find ways to weave the lessons into that. I, I've, I've heard that before and that was really powerful in this one as well. That's, yeah. why, that's why I went back and got my teaching master's in education because I'm going like, what is this model of education? Like, why are we being tortured in the times when your brain is most susceptible to like sit and la la and just like doesn't work? And I realized that it's only been 200 years that we've had this form of education. And it's like in industrialized form of education while people working in the factories kids had to be codified into their age groups into their things and then and then taught the standardized curriculum and people think like oh you homeschoolers how bohemian it's like actually you know when kids are young and their brains are in their most supple it's like when they get to be around the mentorship of their parents if you actually calculate how many hours your kids are spending with teachers versus you it's like who do you want them to be mimicking after i mean what values i mean i'm sure teachers are great i love teachers many of my friends are teachers that's not what i'm trying to say but i'm just saying like as you much, know you like them as much as doctors <laughs> he had a, blessings he, to all of their universities he had a you really know? funny thing to say he said right like, before they got on the boat the teachers actually called him casper uh-huh. and said hey we have a problem um oh and he gave you the books no 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 you got to come in because um your kids just got a tremendous fantasy and and uh, he came in and he how said, is well, that a problem? He said you, your kid's saying that he doesn't need to learn this new lesson because he's leaving anyway and going to sail around the world. <laughs> Love that kid. That kid can be on my team. You want to know? Because and Casper's like, well, yeah, we're we're going. Well, the way the world. you learn is by interaction with your natural environment, interaction with people. That kid on the boat is going to understand all of that knowledge and everything a heck of a lot yeah, better it's, than it's, if they're reading about fish. You know morphology in a stupid text. Yeah, I love textbooks. It's not, I don't know. It's, it's not. The, it's not the boat, and it's not being at home. It is that when you compare it down, and you've got two parents and three children, you're getting one on one or one point yeah. whatever that would be five. You know, teachers to student. You're in a classroom, and it's one to thirty, thirty-five, whatever it is. So you can focus. You know your your lessons and your learning, right? And you go then you along have, with their passion. Well, right, but then you have nurture that those little seeds. I, I agree, but I'm saying even if it wasn't passion, you still the one-on-one interaction makes learning a whole lot more personal and easier, I think, than trying to sit in a classroom of 30 kids. And, and, and Joe, it's not, it's not sailing around the world, but you in the last couple of years have taken your family and moved to different cultures. Mm-hmm. And Courtney was saying at dinner the other night that, um, that one of the things she likes the most about that is how much you guys are together and how the kids, you know, spend time with each other and with you. And, and the idea that, um, you build an unbreakable unit because yeah. you're, you're, you're traveling together and you're in this new place together. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. And, 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 all together. and, and, and you, you look at our, our current model in society of, you know, parents get up and they go to work and they come home and they spend a little bit of time with their kids and everyone goes to sleep and they get up and they go to work. Not saying that that's inherently awful, but just any time that you can create a situation that's going to allow you to spend more time, as Tim says, one-on-one with your kids, the learning for both of you. You know, you think about what you learn as a parent from your kids when you can spend that kind of time together, whether it's getting on a boat and sailing around the world, moving to Japan, or just going away camping for the weekend. It's really, really important time, not just for the kids, but for us too as parents. So any opportunity we get to do that is great. So if you're stuck at home, you're on the couch, you're wondering what to do with your kids this weekend, in addition to watching 
Spartan Up podcast Send at spartan.com slash podcast. You could go camping. You could collect Send acorns. You can join the military. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to say, you know, it's not about it either. Uh, going on a Spartan race together. And we don't talk enough uh, about, about the actual yeah. race. Oh, yeah. uh, that's a uh, great uh, opportunity uh, to go yeah, spend yeah. time as a family for several hours out in the woods on a course. Yeah. Thank you for watching another epic story of success. If you like our message, please share Spartan Up with your friends and subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you catch our show, maybe in the woods. Spartan Up is brought to you by Spartan Race. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. 